Hi everyone, it's Luke here. Um, very, very, very excited uh, to have Tara from Monzo join us uh, this week. Um, Monzo because everyone in the office that we employ won't stop talking about how <laughs> excellent Monzo is. Uh, so I'm really excited to hear about their story. Uh, they've also grown so scarily fast in the last few years that um, I'm sure there's going to be lots and lots of exciting stories. Um, so maybe let's start with um, Tara, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at Monzo, it'd be great. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. It's very nice to be here. So my name is Tara and I joined Monzo when we were sub 50 people. And today we stand at around 1450 and that is in just over three years. So huge amount That's of mad. growth. Yeah. Uh, when you look back at the things you've done in that time period, you're just like, wow, it's really, like, can't believe we actually managed to achieve it. It's great. And my role at the moment is in the people we call, we work in collectives in a matrix style. And um, I'm in the people collective as the head of people. And I currently look after people partners, people operations, space, which is what we think of as like facilities and that physical sort of thing, physical yeah. environment. And also at the moment, um, I'm looking after learning and development. So it's okay. quite broad. <laughs> yeah. And it's um, looking at the whole people life cycle and, you know, how does it feel to work at Monzo? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and then just in case there are people listening that don't know Monzo, um, would you just tell us a little bit about Monzo? Yeah, of course. So Monzo is the fastest growing bank in the UK currently. And you may have seen our really bright colored cards in and around um, the UK. Coral was my wedding color. Was it? Yeah. Was it hot coral though? I'd have to ask my wife. <laughs> I don't know. Based on how difficult it is to get any kind of merchandise in the specific like Pantone colour, yeah. I would imagine that it wasn't. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, the hot coral cards um, that are kind of, see them a lot around London and increasing like throughout the UK, which is really, really lovely. And essentially we're a bank that's set out to be different in the sense we want to make money work for everyone. And that's, you know, from the person who just struggles to like, make ends meet at the end of every month maybe because they spend too much on coffees or just like people who really want to understand and have a better idea of financial literacy with their money um the app i think i can say i think it's really beautiful and also really easy to use and personally has helped me save so much money that i used to waste and i know that's like just one kind of customer persona there's lots of different people who use it for different kinds of yeah. things um but it's just the idea that banking can be different yeah cool um, and at Mo, we talk about moments all of the time, uh, mm -hmm. moments, significant highs, significant lows. Mm -hmm. um, give us yours at Monzo in the last three years, high or a low. Can I do Hope, both? Yeah, 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 I'd love both. Okay, so I mentioned that when I started, we were sub 50 people and we were in an office that wasn't really big enough for how big we were getting at the time. We were in the process of moving offices and the low was at the time I was the office manager and we had a toilet with a cistern and it exploded on a regular basis. <laughs> and as the person who was in charge of facilities and that sort of thing, I was the person dealing with that on a semi-regular basis. And that was just a huge low one day where someone just came up to me and tapped me on the shoulder and was like, Tara, it's happened again. And I'm just like, no, why? Um, and just like being there, like mopping up, like sorting things out. And you're just like, oh no, what is my life? And, um, but equally, you know, if there's a job that needs to be done, someone has to do it. And at that time, it was me. True, true. Give me a high then. Hi, to, okay. Lots, to compensate. <laughs> lots of highs. I think the main one recently for me though, is that we launched a 
we launched a new like arm of our mental health support at Monzo and we have these posters that kind of say it's okay to you should um, and we pop them on the back of every single um, toilet door theme of toilets I'm realizing um, <laughs> but yeah toilet door at Monzo and someone who worked at Monzo like took a photo and posted it on Twitter just being like I love that this is the sort of thing that we have in our office and it you know it includes things like um, you know it's okay to cry it's okay not to know the answer like and you should go home if you're not feeling productive and these sorts of things um, and on Twitter just it got huge amounts of engagement and people were saying that oh gosh like this is really great like we should have this in our office like we should make our own version of this and for me that's kind of like my personal mission is this idea of creating an environment at Monzo that is makes work feel different and you know is super engaging and fulfilling but not just for us but so that people who work in different places can go hey maybe we should do that too like Monzo did it and look like look what happened and maybe we can help improve the way things feel and work at where I work. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. i got a question for you on brand later. I'm going to cool. hold my response to that later. Um, so um, I love a little theory, and there's a theory um, which is called Dunbar's number. Yes. Did you research that one? I sent you the questions. No, I already oh. knew it because we spoke about it a lot Dude. as we were approaching okay. it. <laughs> okay, cool. So like 150 people is this point of significance. Yes. Basically... Um, what the um, what the number and the theory associates to is um, the ability to maintain stable and strong connections, mm -hmm. relationships with people. You've gone well past the 150. Mm -hmm. um, it'd be really interesting to know how you are creating this connected culture that you talk of that's kind of setting mm -hmm. the standard now, really, for your industry um, now that you're much, much larger. In all honesty, it was something that I worried about a lot when we were approaching that number and when we immediately surpassed it because you know this idea of like oh we've got this really special thing like we want to keep it and scale it as much as you possibly can but I would kind of counter not to counter a theory but <laughs> I think you know 150 people is 150 individuals and the likelihood that you will find like your best friend or like the person you really value at work within that 150 is likely it's a big group of people but the likelihood that you'll find that in 1,450 people is actually way more likely that you'll find someone who has something really deep in common with you. Yeah. And whether that's like, you know, you're from Wales as I am, or, you know, you really like emo music like I do. Um, <laughs> and I just think actually it gives you a greater opportunity for community that's really genuine. And so rather than, oh, we're the people who happen to work here. And so, you know, we'll be friends because why not? It's actually, as long as you have you create touch points for people to find one another actually you get these really lovely like relationships and friendships with people that just feel like hopefully will last like longer than you work in a certain place yeah. and so you know we used to do this thing at monzo when we were smaller where we randomly pick six people from across the company from different areas and we said hey go have lunch together and you know chat and things yeah, yeah. and that worked for a while when we were small but then as we got bigger that just didn't happen anymore and so I truly believe food brings people together and it's like this really like it breaks down barriers between people because even if you're really awkward you can still just go oh this food eh you know yeah, <laughs> whatever yeah, yeah. and um, so we made sure that there was you know, two days a week like there's lunch available in the office for people to come down and eat together yeah. and then you know we used to have whole company socials which on the one hand it's great because you know it's a way for everyone to get together but equally like, if you don't like that thing whatever yeah. it is then actually that's quite exclusionary and so now instead we allow like squads and disciplines and that sort of thing to get together socially yeah. and do the things that you want to do so for me i'm 
probably one of the most boring people in the world. Like, you know, going out, like, I do like to dance, but you know what I mean? Like, partying is really not my thing. Yeah. But um, recently, like, my squad did a Beyonce dance class together. Like, we all went out after work to, like, learn how to do Beyonce dance moves. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and it was awesome. And a bunch of people who work in, like, different um, areas of the business. We had one engineer, one product manager, and things like that, who we don't normally work so with. So like put a ring on it one? We... Yes, we did. We did formation, we did um, <laughs> single ladies, and we did um, girls run the world. And they were like, oh, you're going out to do this thing. Can, can we come with you? That sounds really cool. And I was yeah, like, yeah. yeah, of course, more than, more than welcome. And so we discovered a love of dance together. Yeah, um, yeah. Choreographed dance, just to be super clear. <laughs> and I think that's the thing is that the more people who are around, there are more likely there are people who look like you, people who have the same sort of life experience as you. And so, yeah. you know, you can meet different kinds of people, but also you can find people who make you feel more like yourself as well. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the blend of like forced connection versus yeah. common connection, mm-hmm. right? And I guess what you're saying is there's a higher probability, the bigger the number is, that there's someone mm. there. The task is how do you make it happen or help yeah. it, ha- less maybe make it happen, more help it happen. Yeah. As you get bigger. Yes. I don't know if you, uh, what's, how have you done that? Because mm-hmm. there's quite a lot of logistics, planning, consideration. Mm-hmm. Who are these people? What do they like? What do mm-hmm. they care about? Like how, how practically have you made it happen as you've got bigger? Slack has been really helpful with that in the sense okay. that we have really, really specific Slack channels. So okay. um, we've recently created this one called Beauty, where people want to talk about like beauty products that they're using mm-hmm. and things that they've tried. And, you know having that kind of advice relationship from different kinds of people brings people together. And there's also channels around um, like salsa dancing or there's a mu- different kinds of music channels and things like that. I yeah. found someone who really loves the same like band and album that I really love. And I was like, and now we're like best friends. It's yeah, great. Yeah. Um, but equally, I think it's around having, you know, breakout spaces around your office where like just touch points of conversation can happen. So we have people teach people how to make coffee and that sort of thing. So you meet different people around the office. Yeah. And also this idea, we have buddies who then introduce you to other kinds of um, other people at Monzo. And also just a strong culture of one-to-ones and the idea that, hey, you shouldn't just hang out with your squad or your discipline. Like You should go out and meet different kinds of people. So yeah. I had a new joiner who started on Monday and it was like, people that you should meet. And obviously, stakeholders people you're going to directly be working with but also like there was just a bunch of random people who I was like based on what I've learned about you through the interview process and like having chatted to you you know these are people I think you might get along with right and see how it goes and yeah they go and maybe they have a one-to-one and they only talk about work the whole time that's also great but or maybe they'll end up talking about I don't know something they care about right? yeah like Pokemon who knows right yeah and then they have a friend and that's great yeah true It's, it's Especially in the early days when you're when you're growing so quick, you've got so many people joining. Like the the first period of work is so mm. nervy. Yeah. For most people. As mm. confident as you might seem on the outside, mm. like this drastic change is quite a big deal, right? Yeah. And feeling like you can have somebody to rely on. The scary thing that I see here mm. is that it seems to be around unless you make a conscious effort to encourage the interactions, not force them, but yeah. encourage the interactions, it will default to things like uh, people that smoke because yeah. they go outside at the same time mm-hmm. or people that like a beer because they go to the pub at yeah. the same time. And the challenge is as you get bigger and bigger, like you say, that people don't always like to do that. Yeah. Like in Shoreditch, mm-hmm. there's lots of people that um, are very, I guess, we've started with people that don't drink or people that are vegan or people yeah. that are vegetarian. You have to make all of those considerations. Mm-hmm. Um, but it allows it to, you start with that basis, right? Mm-hmm. 
which I don't know whether that's as a consequence of location or the people that have brought in or whatever it is, mm-hmm. but it kind of gets you thinking with the don't conform to the normal yeah. because you don't become unique if you're normal. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? So yeah, like from really. a brand and a cultural perspective, mm-hmm. if you just conform to what everybody else does, yeah. then you're not you, you're someone else or trying mm-hmm. desperately to be someone else. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? I mean, that was my experience when I first joined Monzo was that everyone was super welcoming and really like, lovely to me and you know included invited me to all sorts of things but I was like mm, this isn't really what I want to do yeah. with my time outside of work yeah. and for a period of time I was thinking oh gosh like maybe do this I means- have to yeah. am I going to fit in and, like all know, of those things right maybe this isn't the right place for me like people don't like doing what I want to do and then on slack one day someone was talking about like a steak restaurant and I was like Oh my god, I love steak. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then we we formed a steak club of people who just got together to go out and eat steak together. Yeah. And then yeah. because we always posted about it in an open channel, yeah. people who then joined and liked steak were like, "Oh, cool! Can I come along?" And then we have um, like a theatre club as well, where a bunch of people, um, when new shows come out, we buy like the group ticket discount to yeah. get like together, and like obviously everyone pays each other. Yeah. And then we go to the theatre together. So we're going to go see um, Dear Evan Hansen tomorrow. Okay, and cool. Again. This person joined on Monday and they saw that we were going and they're like, oh, there's a spare ticket. Can I come? And like yeah. this person who doesn't know um, doesn't know any of us yeah, is now yeah. coming with us to the theatre. And I think it's about keeping the social interactions as transparent as possible and open as possible yeah. so that it doesn't feel like you're joining a clique that you, you have to break your way into. But actually, yeah. people are just meeting up, doing stuff all the time and you can choose your own involvement. And I think that's really important so that people don't feel like, you know, they're the boring person if they don't want to do it. Because you know, why should you have to spend time, like your yeah. private time with people who happen to work where you work? But if you want that, it's there for you. And then also making sure that there's opportunities at lunchtime and at breakfast so that different kinds of people can engage in a level that, that works for them. Yeah, the big, so often you see that um, there's there's not the variety mm. which drives like um, social and cultural like conformity basically yeah. that in turn makes it even harder to break out of it Mm. because you get into this like pattern recognition really Mm -hmm. quickly because nobody's pushing variety Mm -hmm. but it means that it's not personal for anybody yeah because it's just the way in which it's always been done yeah beers on friday at the pub yeah exactly that and like does anyone even enjoy it anymore no one knows because we don't ask love a beer (laughs) (laughs) um okay cool so next one then next quick question um so employee engagement Mm mm-hmm space that we play in or people would associate us to mm-hmm. um i feel like engagement's getting a little bit confused as it's being more and more research it's mm-hmm. becoming a bigger thing and meaning everything and kind of nothing at the same yeah. time um it'd be really interesting to get your take on what does employee engagement mean at mm-hmm. monzo um what is it to you how do you measure it how do you improve it how do you mm-hmm. know you're good or bad yeah so we use a tool called Pecon in order to... Yeah, we know Pecon works. So they don't, they wouldn't compete with us, which oh. is a good thing. Okay, so cool. we know Coltramp, we know Pecon, we know Glyn. Awesome. They're normally reasons that people would buy us, actually, because they oh. use a Pecon, they get insight that yeah. they need to make improvements, and mm-hmm. then we would be the basis to support with the improvements. Uh, okay, cool. That's good to know. I was like, yeah. oh, is it okay? No, it's uh, good. You're all right. Yeah. Past <laughs> ones have literally named absolute oh. competitors. We're cool with that, too. All right, cool. Uh, so we use Pecon, and... We implemented that when we were actually around like 80 people. And the reason being that as you get larger, as much as you can cultivate a kind of culture of transparency and, you know, speaking truth to power and asking, asking questions, the fact is, as you get larger, that as 
it just will naturally decrease a little bit, right? Yeah. And so I wanted to make sure that there was a way that people could still like give their opinions and we could have a real finger on the pulse of how people genuinely felt. Yeah. And Pecon gave us that and they gave the drivers that they use around things like, you know, recognition, uh, workload, like manager support and all these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And so we've had that for quite a long time now and have found it super useful because there's just things that now that you're like 1400 people, yeah, as much yeah. as I try to be like your friendly neighborhood people person, <laughs> yeah, yeah. people just don't want to talk to me about, you know, or don't feel comfortable just coming up to me where they met me once yeah, or twice yeah. and saying anything. And so keeping an eye on that and also being able to then have open dialogues about like what do certain drivers mean to people. So for example, um, workload or recognition can mean different things to different kinds of people. And I think yeah. being able to have that open dialogue all the time about well, what does this mean to you and how would you feel recognized or what would make you feel like devalued or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. just means that we can be really honest with one another yeah. and keeping an eye on like ENPS whatever is super useful I don't think it tells the whole story and also like dips and fluctuations depending especially when you're growing quite quickly depending like different cohorts yeah, of when yeah. people started or who's been here for how long um, but we've used that and found it super useful and yeah. that's generally what we term by engagement but also for me personally it's around being engaged with the mission of the company and obviously that comes under like strategy and is it communicated well but do people genuinely feel like their work is making a difference and yeah I think that's the key thing yeah so I think about it as are you emotionally opposed to rationally connected to what you're mm -hmm. doing yeah because emotional connection tends to mean that you um, you'll give more mm. and that it's meaningful to you and mm -hmm. all of those associated things whereas rational means you're going to turn up to work and you're going to leave and you're going to take your yeah. pay packet pretty mm -hmm. much um, what give us a sense of some of the things that you um, have changed off the back of that so yeah. how have you made improve so one of the big things is like um, there's a big there's a big difference for me between listening and hearing mm -hmm. um, and as you're going through that such a scaling journey, yeah. hearing and understanding and being being able to change as fast mm -hmm. as you're hearing new feedback mm -hmm. must be hard. Yep. Um, but it would be great to just get an understanding of some of the things that you've done as a consequence and mm -hmm. how that's then resonated and how you've been able to loop that back around. Yep. So one of the key things we did off the back of feedback on Pecon was, I mentioned Slack as a way to connect with different kinds of yep. people, but when you have you know, 1,400 people on Slack, it can get quite noisy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it can be quite difficult for people to find the information that they need when they need it. Yeah. And so this came up time and time again, like actually, oh, I feel quite, you know, that I don't know what channels I need to be in and that sort of thing. And yeah. it's creating an anxiety. And so we had a business analyst who works at Monzo just look at Slack usage and, you know, saw, you know, we have around 2,000 channels. We have more channels than people. Oh, and in some ways that's super useful. You can have very specific conversations, yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's course. a lot to keep on top of. Yeah. And so we um, created this kind of, what would they call it? Uh, there's a proper term that they used, but like Slack guidelines around like how to tag messages in Slack appropriately so people know whether like it's yeah, like you yeah. must respond now yeah. versus, you know, oh, actually this is just for your information, no need to do anything and that sort of thing. Yeah. And at first that was quite challenging because getting you know a large group of people to do it's anything quickly change, right? yeah it's really yeah. hard yeah, but yeah. ultimately it's stuck and some of the things we initially um put into slack and as guidelines of how to use it have fallen away as we've got more feedback on pecan of like oh i actually think this is kind of you know too much work for you know little cause or whatever yeah, yeah. Uh, little use rather yeah um 
and yeah, I think it's made Slack, especially certain channels and for certain groups of people at Monzo, so much easier to manage and made them way more effective and like productive at their job because yeah. they don't feel like they have to keep on top of it and yeah. they know the channels that they must look at and the others that they can just let slide and look at their own time. Um, and we've seen scores around that like increase over time because of those kind of guidelines. Yeah, cool. And um, just because of where we started, got mm -hmm. a little bias towards recognition and yeah. how people feel valued for their contribution. Um, what do you do in that space? Or what have you? What feedback have you had? Mm -hmm. And what, what do you do? Have you done? Will mm -hmm. you do? <laughs> Anyone so, of the above? <laughs> I think that's a really complicated topic. And I think it's very personal to individuals of what recognition means really to people. Means. And it's, is it public? Is it private? Is it a thing? Is yeah. It, is it financial? Is it, yeah. is yeah, it yeah. you know, what does it mean? Is it learning? Is it yeah. the opportunity to spend more time at home? What like, Exactly. Is yeah. it lunch with the CEO? You yeah. know, and what's the value exchange basically is the yeah. way that I think about it often. It's like you've got motivational drivers and then you've got some form of reward, mm -hmm. but not in the way in which people understand reward today, yes. which is typically either salary bonus or a voucher. Yes, exactly. So what does reward mean to you or I? But uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, carry on. No, so I think that, well, when we were much smaller, we had these things called smileys where we had a bunch yeah. of stickers and every single week at the all hands when, you know, there was about 50 people there, we'd be like, this person has done this thing. And that's like, that's really great. Yeah. And then, as we started to grow larger and we wanted to kind of communicate our values and like really be clear about the kind of behaviors that we celebrated, I feel like everything is about Slack. I don't mean it to be, I'm sorry. Um, we have- Well, you're literally rep representing them. I know, I promise though, I don't right? have like, like shares or anything yet. Um, but it is just a really core cool part of working yeah, yeah. at Monzo. Yeah. And so it's impossible to be stressed and grateful at the same time. And in terms of recognition, I think there's recognition like top down, but there's also like bottom up and also side to side. Yeah. And I think that it's really important to recognize people, not just for the project that they delivered or, you know, the, the day to day like contribution to the business, but like who they are as people and the things that they did that they didn't have to do that actually bettered the community. And yeah. so I created this gratitude channel where you could just call out like, hey, this was really cool, like, thank you very much. Because yeah, I think yeah. as an individual, giving like recognition or gratitude in a sense makes you feel good. Like, yeah, I'm really glad these like good eggs work here. Yeah. But the person who did the thing, they're like, hmm, like I feel good, I've been recognized and like, I'm glad that people value this thing yeah. about me. And then for people who read the channel, they're like, oh, that's really nice. Yeah, like, look yeah, what people are doing for one stuff, another. Yeah. And so that kind of like community recognition, I think is really powerful. But then equally, we do have, we used to do it at all hands, whole company, like you can nominate people for this kind of like public recognition, yeah. but there just got to be too many. And yeah. so then we moved it into collectives. And so collectively, like you can nominate people, like they did a great job on this or whatever. Yeah. And it comes from there. And then also there's a manager budget of like, you can give people like a, it's not, it's not a cash reward, but like, for example, someone in my team really, really loves dark chocolate. Like she just is all about it. Yeah. And so she did something really great. And so then I went and spent some money on like this really nice like dark chocolate gift package for her. Yeah. And it cost maybe like, I don't know, 15 pounds. Like it wasn't very much at all. Yeah. But like with a little note, just being like, you worked really hard. You delivered this thing. Like it was really, really good. Yeah. Um, she comes to her desk and it's like that thoughtful touch of like a personal like recognition that only I could know because I'm her manager yeah. like, was just, I think it's really, really powerful. I, I literally couldn't agree with you more. Like mm -hmm. if, um, ha I think it is so personal mm -hmm. in what is going to matter to you. Mm -hmm. But I think the thing that often people get lost on is 
if it's not going to be really personal, mm -hmm. then most of what someone will probably want mm -hmm. is the acknowledgement that they've done something really good. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Right, are you ready for my next one? Always. Um, so, and this is somewhat tied to that previous point, actually, which is, um, for me, engagement and um, diversity and inclusion are topics mm -hmm. talked about quite a lot at the moment. And they carry quite a common thread, which is it's about being treated as an individual. Mm -hmm. um, and how do you create personalized experiences for people whilst they're at work? Everybody mm -hmm. at Monzo, no matter how big you grow to, is going to have an individual experience. Yeah. They'll have a perspective which is their own, mm -hmm. um, which you can try to make as good as possible, mm -hmm. but it will be unique. Yes. Um, so how, how do you... How do you think about, you mentioned personas on the customer mm -hmm. side earlier today. Mm -hmm. how, how do you think about the people that work for Monzo and how you enhance their experience as individuals rather than just as a Monzo employee? Or, mm -hmm. or are you not there yet? I don't, I don't quite know where you are in that journey. Does anyone know where we are now? <laughs> um, I think it's a very interesting question, but I think it's, I try to think about it more when it comes to like inclusion and diversity, um, um, CTO Mary like said it in a really succinct way. Is like, you have to make it so that everyone belongs before they've arrived. And so, you know, if you're the first person who has a baby when they work at a institute yeah. and then, the, you know, you go to the people team and they're like, oh gosh, we'll write the procedures now. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's not a very inclusive experience. It, yeah. It's essentially saying we didn't anticipate people like you being here right yeah, and yeah. so if someone comes to you and says do you know what i need to pray at you know these specific times where can i do that and they're like oh uh so the stationary cupboard you know you know yeah, what I mean? and there's yeah, no, yeah, there's yeah, no kind of defined space for that i think instead of i don't think of it in terms of creating like individual experiences so much as thinking about like who do we want at Monzo who like yeah. and who's going to join us in the future and trying to make it so that when they arrive they're like Oh yeah, I was expected here, so I feel like I'm included before I've even arrived, right? Yeah. And our deputy CEO Paul also says that you know when you think about inclusive um, inclusivity and uh, diversity, that it's all very well inviting people to the dance unless someone actually asks them to dance. Otherwise, they're just stood on the sidelines. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is like, how do you make it so that? rather than trying to tailor experiences to people, because people are so unique, if you try to solve for the 100%, you're always going to fail. And yeah. so if you solve for the 95%, but then make it super clear, hey, this will not work for all people. Yeah. Tell us how this doesn't work for you and we'll adjust for you. Like, please let us know and try to do as much as you can. I just think that's more scalable and also just speaks to a sincerity of like humanity of that, hey, it's Can't never going to be perfect. Time, no, right? And yeah. also like, when you think about intersectionality, like what works for one person, you can't then say, and so like all kinds of people who are like this need this because that's not true. Yeah, and also yeah. I think then it can come across quite condescending or like not recognizing the individual. Yeah. And so I think it's just being vulnerable and saying, we're really trying and like doing as much as we can. Please, if we're not doing something like well for you, tell us and we will make it right. And I think yeah. that's ultimately the way we try to go. Yeah, 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 it's great. It's really interesting. How far do you think? So I think of that as like the. Um, so I have a productivity analogy that's stuck in my head forever, yeah. which is if you've got a bucket mm -hmm. and you've got big rocks, little rocks, and sand, yeah. which one do you put in first? Big rocks. 
Yeah, so big rocks, right? So big rocks build your foundations, everything else can fit around the side. How far into the big rocks going in do you think you are in that journey of what is in essence kind of personalization and mm-hmm. um, considering experiences that really matter and then the rest becomes points of optimization or adjustment in your journey three years in? That's really tough, actually. I think we've definitely got our big rocks in because I think big rocks in this setting yeah. is more around principles, right? Yeah. And that as a business, we recognize we are not there and communicate that quite proactively. And so it's not as if I would hope that anyone would join and be like, oh gosh, this place is set up in a way that I feel like I can't be myself or I can't progress or be accepted here. I think very clearly we say, we one of our key values is help everyone belong. And so I say big rocks are in, and I'd even say maybe even little rocks, but yeah. not all of them. And sand is like in the yeah, distance. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. I also think to an extent there'll be time boxed or time relevant yes. to when, I think the biggest rocks is the embeddingment of your values. Mm-hmm. Um, which is the bit that I'm going to come on to next, which is around great, like a brand that you mm-hmm. have. So for anyone that uses Monza, I think in the main, the brand awareness and perception is great, um, from what I've heard, at Thank least. Um, it'd be really interesting to... I, I often think about brands built from the inside out. Mm-hmm. I.e. your purpose is clear, your values are clear, the reason for existence is clear on the inside so that mm-hmm. they can be expressed on the outside. Yep. Otherwise, you're you're building a veneer almost Mm -hmm. on what the organization actually looks like for your customers. Mm -hmm. So the brand perception is really strong Mm -hmm. and I suspect you're known for the reasons why you exist in this market. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you, how do you keep pace of that on the inside of the organization? So the brand continues, continues to just evolve organically, but stays true to what you set out to be important. I think Tom, our CEO is quite, key to that in the sense that he has such a clear vision for what we're trying to achieve and because it's really strange people come for interviews sometimes and they're like oh does tom come in and you're like, yes <laughs> <laughs> that's him and it's it's quite strange sometimes because i do think that sometimes the perception from the outside is that we're actually much larger internally than we actually are mm-hmm. and so tom is there sat on a chair and he, yeah, you, know, yeah. you see him all the time. And I think that that communication of like vision, what and purpose and why we're here and the authenticity that we really do get from Tom, he does a Q&A every single week that you can literally ask him anything. And people really do when they probably shouldn't ask him some of the questions that they do ask him. And I think when you can have such like a charismatic person that then is supported by people throughout the business who really believe in that like mission. Yeah. It just means that even as you get so much larger and perhaps like in different collectives, you know, the mission might be slightly adjusted. So in the people collect in the people collective, it's um, you know, allowing people to do the best work of their lives so we can make money work for everyone. As long as everyone, connect. regardless of their role, can connect to that broader mission. It just means hopefully, no matter how big you get, that brand identity is really clear. And I think that how you're spoken to during your onboarding, like the things that we say we value, the people who you promote, who demonstrate like certain behaviors, just makes it really, really clear, like this is what success looks like at Monzo. And, you know, customer first is one of our like key values. And if you 
have a co- like conversations about customers, it doesn't happen. But if someone was like, oh, do we really care? Like the answer would be like resounding yes. Yeah, and yeah. if it was like, oh, actually not, like p- someone would be spoken to like immediately, like, oh, actually, you know, you're not aligned here. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's how you do it. It's just having a super like laser-like focus and then making sure everyone can tack onto that like throughout wherever you are in the company. Yeah. Great. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, I wanted to talk to you about um, workforce demographic. Okay. That's okay. Um, what's the makeup at Monto? Mm-hmm. Um, if we could start there, just to set, set the scene, maybe. I don't okay. know if you know the stats off the top of your head, because I'm sure they move every week. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely they do. Um, so the last time that I checked, which was about three weeks ago, the average age of someone who works at Monzo was 29. And okay. in terms of population, this is off the top of my head, so this isn't completely accurate, yeah. but uh, I believe something like 28% of people would identify as, like, would be classed rather, whether they identify or not, um, as millennials. And I'm sure it was like 18% would um, classify as Generation Z. Okay. And then there's everyone else. Okay. Okay, cool. Okay, that makes sense. I just wondered, um, with a um, an organisation that um, clearly is young as an organisation mm-hmm. and reasonably young in makeup, mm-hmm. um, a lot of a lot of the industry and a lot of the hype in the industry. I was at an event recently that really badges millennials in a particular way mm-hmm. of being needy, expectant all of these things mm-hmm. and I'm like hey I'm a millennial here and <laughs> why do we think any of this is different from any yeah. other generation um, what have you seen of some of the great things and some of the challenges of working mm-hmm. with a um, young organisation and a young bunch of people mm-hmm. first of all I don't as much as I said you know generations and millennial I just think it's so disrespectful to just say, well, you're this and so you're like that. And I think that's so offensive. I get angry. I got really angry at the event. I was like, why am I any different to anybody else? I got really frustrated. I don't even like avocados. So like, (laughs) what? And I think this is the thing is that people just want to be able to put people into boxes so that it makes sense to them or so they can have their think piece on why people are the way that they are. And, you know, no disrespect, avocados are very good, I'm sure. Um, but it's an, it's not only millennials who like them, like yeah, loads yeah. of people do, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that kind of grouping can be really, like outside of the workforce, just can be really damaging because it turns people against one another, it creates division. Yeah. And so like online, I see lots of people being like, oh, boomers or, or yeah. whatever they say. And it's like, well, you know, there might only be six months difference between like these two groups of people and life experience means that everyone's very, very different. Um, But speaking about a young workforce, um, well, youngish workforce at Monzo, um, I think a great opportunity there is this idea of like first principles thinking and not that, you know, any particular group is more capable of it. But I think that when you are learning something and building something for the first time, if you don't have this kind of intellectual baggage of like, oh, and this is how things are done, and these are the boundaries and that sort of thing. It just creates a really clear foundation for innovation and creativity. And also just to question the status quo of like, well, hang on, why is that like that? And, you know, I think a lot of the time, once we know something, we've been there and done that, we can also, I'm, I think I'm very guilty of this, just be like, and this is just how it's done, right? Yeah. And But when you have someone who's going, hmm, but why? It just means you can do things really differently. Yeah. And I mean, just the idea of like, building a bank from scratch you know 
15 years ago would have been completely, un- I mean, Met- Metro Bank would have started around then, okay, so yeah. maybe 20 years ago, yeah, yeah. would have been completely <laughs> unheard of. Whereas now it's like, well, actually, why can't banking be different? And I think yeah. that kind of mindset only comes, you know, when you do think from scratch. And I think part of the challenge that comes with having people like who are generally quite young working on different kinds of things is that it's really tiring to think about things from first principles all of the time. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, that, what I said, lazy default, but also like that comfort of like, and this is how things work, yeah. means that you don't have to have this like cognitive load of working things out all the time when actually there is an established process it's of how the, you do it. Yeah, the scale of this information flow, right? To be yeah. able to make decisions that are so significant, you need to feel like you've got a lot of the information. Yeah. And if you're constantly educating yourself with the information mm-hmm. all the time, yeah, it's hard. The intensity of work is significant, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then equally, there's a lot of fulfillment there where you're like, I got to, you know, I built this thing, I mastered this topic or whatever the case may be. And at Monzo, while the average age may be 29, like there's a huge like group of different kinds of people. Yeah. And actually, I think it's really lovely the way that people interact and like learn from one another and so like um our general counsel um used to work at a different bank and seeing him sat down next to um like one of our younger engineers like debating like law and like different yeah, kind yeah. of thing and the engineer's like but why can't it be like this and he's like I understand, but it but it is just <laughs> the this way. You know the legal like system this. is just the way that it is. And um Actually having those debates, I think it's just really great and intellectually stimulating. And so yeah. instead of feeling like, oh, you know, you come to work and you do the thing that you're meant to do, it's like that like what if is very exciting. And just I think that's part of what builds the momentum and the like engagement at Monzo is this idea of like, well, actually, can things be different? And what, what would they look like if they were? And then, you know, you test the hypothesis and like, oh, actually, maybe, no, it doesn't need to be that way. Cool. And yeah. then you go back. But at least you know you've tried and like you've tried to make things as efficient as possible um, and also like to delight as much as possible for like the outcomes of whether that's staff or customers. Yeah. Cool. Okay, great. And then um, I don't know how this question is going to go down, but it's been one that's playing on my mind mm-hmm. uh, quite a bit, which is, um, so we talked about engagement earlier being this sense of emotional connection. Yes. Um, we also hear quite a lot from the industry press around emotional intelligence being mm-hmm. one of the most underrated skills. Mm-hmm. Um, emotional and work haven't sat that well next to each other mm-hmm. for quite a long period of time in which work is quite rational in thought mm-hmm. and emotional is... Um, not how you should approach work. Mm-hmm. Um, give me your view on this emergence of emotion in the workplace mm-hmm. and how you, whether you think it's a positive or negative or mm-hmm. just your perspective on mm-hmm. emotion at work. I would challenge the thought that emotional and rational are on opposite sides because you can be emotional and completely re- um, rational. Yeah. I think that it's actually quite an outdated sexist way of thinking about things in the sense that emotion means that you're weak because weakness is associated with women or an emotion is associated with women. And so I would completely reject that personally. I actually think it's really healthy. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, that people should be, you know, losing their composure at work all the time or like flipping tables or whatever, you know, kind of screaming at people. But 
crying is a human reaction to whatever it is is in front of you and that shouldn't be shameful and i think that it's pretending that people don't cry that people don't have emotional reactions to things feelings Act- right yeah feelings like yeah. you have a f- you feel things all the time you know like oh it's a bit cold in here or oh you know that person was a bit rude and i actually think it really creates disconnection between teams and between like work happening in a really authentic way i had someone in my team yesterday um they're in the middle of like revamping something that they've been working on and they came to me and said I'm feeling quite, you know, vulnerable at the moment because while I know this needs to be improved, yeah. everyone who's going to be around there is going to be saying this thing isn't very good anymore and I worked really hard on that and, you know, I know that I should, I am excited for the change but I feel really vulnerable and like a bit upset and I'm worried I'm going to be defensive and I was like, well, if you know that's going to be your first emotion, then why don't you, like in the meeting, just say, hey, like, this is how I'm feeling and, you know, just to be mindful of that, like, don't obviously still give the feedback, be really authentic and like, like let's improve this. Yeah. But just like say how you're feeling, because otherwise if you're spending all this time thinking, how do I make sure that I'm not defensive? How do I make sure that, you know, I come across as really neutral when that's not how you're feeling? Yeah. Like, actually means that you then can't contribute fully to that meeting. And people crying is not like normal. I mean, hopefully not all the time as like, <laughs> you might need to support happy them with tears. something. Yeah, happy tears, everything. Um, but I actually think the more we can just be our whole selves at work and just be authentic about how we're feeling about things just means that resentment doesn't build. It means that you can celebrate like really great things as well rather than pretending like, oh yes, I did that thing, but it's fine. Whereas you're like, yes, I did that thing. Yeah, like, yeah. And having people like connect with you on that level. So we um, recently had like a success in my team and I was literally just like snaps we did really well this is ex- excellent and a bunch of people who didn't work on the project were like well done that's amazing yeah and yeah like maybe that's not cool or you know what is so where, people are happening, the, but it's good where the question came from mm-hmm. was um related to a gender debate actually because yeah. there was something that came out in the press recently about um a report from a big mm-hmm. company that probably would be unfair of me to add to the press um, spiral mm-hmm. um, but it was around traits and association to mm-hmm. women and mm-hmm. the sense of emotion and some of the points that you talked about um, with the it's okay to cry on the back of the toilet door for example yeah. um, I feel like there there is this stigma around emotion mm-hmm. that um, is quite interesting when it's perceived as male or female or mm-hmm. Um, traits and considerations that actually like the positive energy comes a lot from emotion Mm, yeah and therefore why would it be good or bad and Mm -hmm. why would it be gender specific and Mm -hmm. um yeah okay lots of interesting stuff there's a book called for the love of men that's recently been released and it's really good like i recommend it wholeheartedly and I actually think we're do like we're being sexist to women and doing a huge disservice to men by being by saying like oh only women feel things like that's just not true. But, but we've look, got to do is look at like male suicide rates, right? And they're yeah, terrifying. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think there's quite a lot of interesting like how we're perceiving and carrying baggage to language actually that mm-hmm. um, needs a lot of work to break it down in the association of certain words and topics. Yeah. Um, but it seems like you're doing a great job. Well, we're trying. <laughs> um, so it sounds like you're doing loads of really cool stuff. Um, and it's a lot for um, a people team to mm-hmm. uh, take on their own. Um, we often think about the, the employee experience at work as mm-hmm. 
the brand experience, so the way mm-hmm. that you look, the things like your careers page, the physical environment, uh, the things in which you say, the way in which you communicate, and the way in which you act from mm-hmm. providing learning experiences to people to uh, living and embedding your values. What does, what does the representation of the, the people making this happen at Monzo look like? How, how big or small is mm-hmm. the team making um, this great environment that you've created? So in our collective, we're around 63 people and we're broken up into squads. My squad that I look after is people operations and people partners, which I think hopefully is self-explanatory. But then equally, we have a squad like people product, which is entirely dedicated to automation and making things as efficient as possible. And then we also have like our talent team and our L&D team and that sort of thing as well. Okay, cool. It sounds like in almost every respect, there is this agile and product focus in everything every like the basis for operation of the entire organization mm-hmm. is structured in the way in which might be familiar to anyone that works in product or tech mm-hmm. but would feel completely foreign to somebody that works in manufacturing or mm-hmm. hospitality for yeah. example what what made you organize in such a way ultimately when you grow as quickly as we have what worked now does not work you know in two weeks time yeah. will not work for the people who are joining in a year's time yeah. and it's that kind of like strategic vision of like how do we make sure that everyone feels welcome before they've joined but also how do we make sure that we're making ourselves as efficient as possible like every day and increasing on that every week yeah. and ultimately the skill sets that you need to really make that happen aren't traditionally always found in like what we would call people people. And so we need engineers who can work on like automating processes. We need business analysts who like are really and data folk who like are really good at analyzing like people data and that sort of thing. Yeah. And it's just when you're thinking about making like, change happen, you need to be able to make database decisions to be able to reasonably predict well as much as you can like, yeah. what's going to be the impact of that change. And so getting all these people together who also think really differently and come from different perspectives just mean we're able to make hopefully better decisions more consistently. Yeah, and are they fixed squads? So we, for example, have a squad structure mm-hmm. um, and there would be product people or engineers or designers, yeah. but we'd also include like our customer success team, for example, mm-hmm. um, that certain people might float in and out of a certain team based on mm-hmm. a, an initiative or a mission for the squad. Yeah. Um, are you structured in the same way or a lot of what I read in the kind of HR press is mm-hmm. around this demand and need for different types of people in the mm-hmm. HR or people function. Yep. Um, are they fixed? Are they? Do they come in? Do you pull favours? Like, how does it? Yeah. So how does um, it work? we work in a matrix organisation, and there are set people in set squads. But then, equally, as you say, as projects come or need, we need different things. People can join or leave. So, like business analysts, for example, might support us for a period of time, or you might have a risk and compliance come in if we're trying to launch something new to make sure that being in a regulated industry that yeah. you know it really it's meets okay. the master <laughs> yeah exactly but also not just okay but like we have the assurance like not just that it works but it really works yeah. right yeah, yeah and yeah. yeah different people will come and join us and i think that's really nice because it brings like fresh ideas and things to our collective all the time yeah great okay and um i think at the scale that you are now and hopefully will continue to grow at this rate is uh, the the importance of people that aren't in that collective and mm-hmm. the managers that need to live um, this every day and mm-hmm. the principles and the changes and the experiments and so on um, that are happening and the people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd really like to just explore the role of a manager at Monzo. Mm-hmm. So um, how do you think about their responsibility mm-hmm. in what you're building? Mostly centered around a people perspective and the environment that they're creating for their 
teams to do their best work. Mm-hmm. So the role of a manager is crucial to the people collective's like mission because we can't be all things to all people. And so being able to train managers to such a standard that actually mostly everything is like off the shelf or self-serve and you speak to the people team when you have a like collective a specific need yeah just means we can scale really effectively without having to grow huge as a collective yeah and the role of a manager at Monzo is to support the whole person so this is a person who will speak to you you know about personal things as much as you want to yeah. um who is trained in like mental health awareness so if you have a problem they can help signpost you to support that we have either internally or externally um but also is like I think about management not as someone who's in front of you or someone who's behind you, but someone who's side by side on your journey at Monzo. And whether that's like learning and development in the sense of like getting that promotion or just like exploring different things. I mean, one of the great things about having people who are like young in their careers is that they don't necessarily always know what they want to do or be. And so having someone by the side of you who's like, hey, do you know what? Like the options are limitless to some extent. Like, do you want to go like explore marketing or explore data or whatever the case may be? And so that pastoral care role is super critical because it means that we're able to have people be as quite autonomous in their roles. Um, but with this like person who's by them, just like sense checking and then being um, a support network. Yeah. Cool. Okay. That's great. Um, and then, um, I think you've touched upon a little bit of the answers to the next question, Mm -hmm. which is, um, given they're so crucial, how are you equipping or supporting them Mm -hmm. as managers? Like what, um, the responsibility is great. Mm-hmm. Um, the autonomy that the team has is great. Mm-hmm. But the this working in practice is only as good as the people doing it. Yeah. Um, so how, how do you equip them from education and training to mm-hmm. tools and systems, processes? Yeah. It'd be good to get a sense of that. So this is a journey we're still on. And I don't think, you know, we talked about like rocks and small rocks. Yeah, like we're yeah. still putting our big rocks in the bucket for this one. Yeah. In the sense... Because lots of people, it's their first time ever being a manager. Yeah. And so also it's for a lot of people, they're going from being a peer to being a manager, which it comes with its own. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, you were a exactly. mate and now you're... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that comes with its own challenges. But we've the thing we're trying to do at the moment is essentially learning when you need it the most. I think that a lot of people try to put people through like a man, like a two week management program. Exactly. And your, your head is just filled with so much information that you may never, well, in some cases, hopefully never use in terms of like uh, leading a grievance or a disciplinary or whatever the case may be. Um, and then the things that are actually really useful, like how do you have a conversation about performance? Like how do you talk to someone who's like, you know, might be having problems outside of home about like you know how to balance work and that sort of thing you don't have a lot of time to practice those skills and then all of a sudden you have this person in front of you who's like a real life person that you care about deeply and you're like i feel quite (laughs) uncomfortable and awkward because this is something that i learned about you know eight months ago in that two-week course and so we're giving people like bit like what I would consider like basic skills of being a manager around like being able to have coaching conversations, yeah. being able to like talk openly about progression and compensation and that sort of thing. Yeah. And then we're in the middle of them at the moment of like launching a digital strategy where people can have like learning when they need it and when it's pertinent. Yeah. So, you know, if you do have to like start a performance improvement plan with somebody, for example, how do you do it? Yeah, it's yeah. there. You do this thing. Here's a person who you can mentor you through this or be your partner. And I think that being a manager, particularly in a collective where that it's quite small or it's very different to other people, mm-hmm. can sometimes feel 
lonely. Isolated. Yeah, yeah, because you've got a bunch of information that you can't always share with other people. And so we have management circles where people come together and anonymously like talk about like, oh, you know, this is on my mind and this is like this is the thing I'm having trouble with. And it's kind of like a mentoring circle where people can come together and learn from one another's and which I think is really helpful. Yeah, completely. Yeah, it's fascinating. Cool. Sounds very interesting. Very, very interesting. Uh, next thing I want to talk to you about is um, uh, having an emotional outlet. Mm -hmm. And this is with a bias towards um, well-being. So mm -hmm. um, I was listening to um, a professor the other day that was talking about uh, mental well-being. Mm -hmm. And that one of the biggest contributors to good mental health um, is the ability to have a, an emotional outlet. Mm -hmm. To be able to share some of what you're feeling, essentially. Yeah. Um, often it can be challenging at work with some of the expectations that we talked about mm -hmm. earlier around the expression of emotion. Um, I just wondered how you're creating this like psychologically safe mm -hmm. environment for people to have this outlet and in turn do their mm -hmm. best work. So I think around psychological safety, people often think of it as a destination where actually it's just an ongoing journey. It's an environmental and, factor. Right, and it changes all the time. Yeah. And I think that sometimes people, when they have a small team, are like, yes, like this is going really, really well. And then... There's redundancies over here. And yeah, all of a sudden exactly. you're like, this external force, mm -hmm. albeit internal in the context of the organisation, yeah. has created uncertainty again, yeah. right? In which you don't know whether you're in this mindset of I'm next or mm -hmm. like there's all of these feelings, right? That yeah. change the safe zone. Exactly. And also like you might get a new person in your team that has changed how you feel about the organisation or whatever the case may be. And for, at Monzo, we've tried to think about it as everyone needs different things. But as much as you can offer that speaks to the different way that people like to release that, that emotional side um, or talk about different things, uh, the better it will be. So managers are there to talk to. We've trained over 85 people to be mental health first aiders at Monzo. So there are those people to speak to too. Um, we're also in the very early stages of um, giving people who opt in basic like active listening counseling skills in the sense that okay. if you just want to talk to someone you know and have no judgment or anything like that um you know go for a walk at lunchtime Saying these are a bunch of people yeah who want right? to talk yeah. um, but equally some people don't like to talk face to face like i am one of those people i hate it yeah. and so we have access to things like spill which is an app where you can talk to a counselor on your phone yeah, messing, um, yeah, we yeah. made sure to invest like partner with private healthcare companies that have a good like either online on the phone or face-to-face -face counseling sessions so you can get professional help when you need it and then separate to that it's about creating an environment where you can just be honest about who you are and people won't treat you any differently yeah. like last week was not a great week for me like I was having a really tough week and you know I went to my team and I was like and every single meeting we start with like how are you feeling? And it's not how are you, because the default British response is usually right. like, fine, good, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Like, hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, but how are you feeling? And it's quite hard to dodge that. I mean, you can if you want to, but it's harder to dodge that question. And they were like, how are you feeling? And I was like, do you know what? Not great. Today has been a tough day. And then they were like, oh, you know, is there anything we can help you with? And I was like, no, but like, thank you for that offer. And just like that admitting it's been a tough day, like really made me feel better. And I think having that expectation that you can say, it's been a tough day. Yeah. It just means that people do generally feel more psychological um, safety at Monzo. Yeah, and it, we, so we talk quite often around like socially sanctioning stuff. Mm -hmm. And almost the first time that you give the expression that it's okay mm -hmm. to respond in that way, it's the, the, the sanctioning that this yeah. is now okay and normal mm -hmm. to an extent. Yeah. Um, 
how are there active ways in which this sanctioning activity is becoming consistent across Monzo? Like how mm. do you how much are you trying to leave management styles to be unique within mm. the different areas or how much are you trying to create consistency with some of these interaction triggers really that create mm. the environment that is desirable to you? I don't think you really can have consistent management technique and trying to achieve that actually leads to a level of um, well, a lack of authenticity, which then people really can like smell, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so then any kind of positive relationship you'd have with your manager will always be tinged with that. I know are you don't you really want to ask me. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. you don't want to ask me about my kids. Why are you pretending, right? And <laughs> yeah. um, that's why we try to have different people you can speak to. And so it's not so much you must get this from your manager. It's like you have, if you want this, it's there Access for you. But equally, if you don't, you don't have to. And I think that's sometimes when we talk at like conferences and that sort of thing about like, oh, you know, allowing people to speak. Also, don't make people speak who don't want to, because otherwise then that feels like they're being inauthentic themselves. Yeah. And I think from top to bottom at Monzo, people are really honest about like, well, to a certain degree, like about how they're feeling. Like, you know, at all hands, people will ask like, Tom, like, how are you feeling? And that sort of thing. And he'll yeah. be honest about how he's feeling in that time. And yeah. sometimes, like as with everyone, people are great and sometimes people are not so great. And I think it gives people permission to realize like their struggles are valid too. I had feedback from someone that I managed um, a year or two ago. They were like, oh, you know, whenever I ask you how you're doing, you always say fine, like, oh, great. Oh, you know, it's been a really great week. And then when you ask me how I'm doing, if I say that like, I'm struggling, whatever, I see the workload that you've got. And then I see that my workload is different. And I feel like, oh gosh, why am I complaining about my workload yeah. when yours seems so much bigger? Um, are you actually all right all the time? And I was like, no, actually, <laughs> yeah. no, I'm not. And I thought, oh, yeah, why do I do that? I mean, for me, it was like, I don't want to burden people that I, you know, that I manage when I'm support to, meant to be like side by side with them, yeah. helping them on their journey. But actually, it has to be reciprocal. It's a two way street. Like, you don't trust anyone who always gives you stuff, right? Yeah. Like, or always takes things from you. Yeah. But actually, when you're in a relationship with someone, it has to be both ways. Two way, right? Yeah. And, yeah, and that doesn't mean, you know, that I, to the people that I manage, I'm like, oh gosh, and you know, my girlfriend's like this or whatever. Yeah. Um, but at least I'm like, yeah, like this week's been tough. Yeah, 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 cool. Um, last question for you, you might be pleased to know, um, <laughs> which is um, for other people that might be listening to this, um, it seems like you have so much going on, mm -hmm. but so much good stuff that might feel like a, a leap for mm -hmm. quite a lot of people, um, from where they are today to mm -hmm. where they might aspire to be. Yeah. Um, it would be really interesting to just get your advice to those that might be listening, mm -hmm. that think, wow, I just wish we could be somewhere like that, mm -hmm. um, on what they could do, or how yeah. they should think about these things, or if they picked one or two or three things that mm -hmm. would be really sensible for them to uh, help on that journey, what they would be. Mm -hmm. So. I think useful context would be that I used to work in social services and chronically underfunded, very, very emotionally tough job yeah, and yeah, very, yeah. very little in the way of like support either from management or from peer or whatever. And we always had to buy our own tea bags, our own milk and all this sort of thing. And I talk about this a lot, so it feels really trite to me, but it's true. Um, and I used to just, I remember one day I went into the kitchen and I saw like 20 different boxes of tea bags and like 20 little one pint of milk. So I was like, this is so wasteful, right? And like 
so expensive for people when they don't have to buy this um, buy any of this and I just thought to myself well, why don't we do this why don't we like bring this together and in the office people like people chatted obviously they didn't walk around not talking to each other but there was no kind of like peer support in that way and so I just went out one day and I was like hey why don't we just pull all this stuff together and then hey why don't we go wild buy some biscuits right you know and <laughs> yeah. people were like yeah yeah sure and then that created this like touch point at 11 o'clock and three o'clock of like 11sies and threesies of like who wants to make a cup of tea because instead of like oh I won't offer because I don't know whose tea bags are whose and like yeah Yeah, exactly um people were like oh it's just around right and you know we had a little thing of how everyone took their tea and stuff like that on the wall and you know that natural touch point people started to go like oh like how's your day going like how do you feel and that sort of thing and for me I don't I think a lot of the time you can feel like it costs a lot of money or that you know it needs some like grand business case but if you're in a people organization you can see how like the problems that are there and you can make really really tiny changes that can have a huge impact and I'm not saying you know that made up for the lack of like mental health support for people who are dealing with very emotional things um but at least then that kind of feeling of community that bud of community like started to blossom and then people started to like go for lunch together and like these sorts yeah. of little things. And I think if you're looking at your organization and you can see something that like just makes you like, it makes so much sense. Like if it's, if there's budget restrictions or whatever, like try to find the free or very low cost version of that. Have some way to measure a baseline of like, this is how people felt before, whether it's like with a free Google form or whatever. Yeah. Do the thing and then measure people afterwards, like maybe like two or three months afterwards. So you can show like, you know, I did this and this is yeah. the impact that I had. And then you've like got the biz- the beginning of a business case, if that's what you need in your organization and that sort of thing. And I think, think big, like what are you trying to achieve, but start small and like own it and just start to show those incremental changes. Because I think it can sometimes feel really overwhelming if you have like a really disengaged or unhappy like um, people, or if you feel like, oh, if we could only do this thing. And as one person or a very small team, whatever the case may be, it can sometimes feel insurmountable. Yeah. But instead, like just think, what can I do that I think will really make a difference and try it. And sometimes it'll just not work. And that's just, yeah. you know, how it is. But don't stop trying because I think that's when it can be really tough in a people profession when you feel like you're almost like there are barriers to making change. But I think you can't, sometimes you can't get over, around or over those barriers, but you can still make incremental change within your office space. Yeah, it feels like quite often there's 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 quite a lot of fear that sits around a people function actually yeah. around, can we do it? Mm-hmm. How do we get the budget signed off? What happens if people don't like it? Mm. Like there's that feel when they're done, mm-hmm. when you've made, when the change has happened, they feel like they're insignificant. But yeah. at the time, or if it fails, mm-hmm. it's exaggerated to an extent. Yeah. How, how would you suggest that people get over that potential fear factor to make change happen? I think that's really difficult because it depends on what you fear. Like, is it the consequences of the people that you're trying to like impact? Is it the consequences from the people above you and that sort of thing? I think I would just start small with a small group of people and just, it sounds terrible, experiment on them, but um, you know, (laughs) don't experiment on people, but like have experiments, you know, and just like see what works and what doesn't. I think the worst cases of like failure always happen when you try to deliver something that's like super polished and amazing like end to end it's just brilliant like um in tech you would always start with an mvp which is like a a minimum viable uh, product and like launch that see how it goes and then like iterate and you know change things as you go along and then people we don't tend to do that we always have this fear that oh it must be perfect from the get-go yeah and 
nothing is perfect. There will always be people who you know, like don't like something. And yeah. that's really useful feedback because it's telling you like different perspectives. But that can sometimes feel really crushing if you've worked on something for like six or eight months and then start implementation and then like yeah. it, you know, goes down the drain. Whereas if you just say to yourself and like be really clear with the stakeholders, whatever, like some people will not like this and some people will probably like have something to say. And that's not bad. That's really good, actually, because, you know, we want to hear different perspectives. And I think it's just about that stakeholder management of like, I anticipate people will not all people will love this, but we're going to change. There's a way to like, it's not set in stone. And I think that's part of the problem. People always think that people processes like set precedents forever. And I think that's quite damaging. It stops innovation. Yeah, in part, you want to drive small changes to build the momentum, right? Because yeah. as soon as the momentum's there, you've got some positive energy. Yeah. Cool. That's us done. Woo, thank you. Um, so thank you. Thank you ever so much for spending the time with us. I really appreciate it.